Welcome to the Rhode Island Right to Bear Arms Network, a show dedicated to gun rights in the state of Rhode Island. folks, welcome back to the Rhode Island Right to Bear Arms Network. Uh, my name is Glenn Valentine. I'm the Vice President of the Rhode Island Firemores League, and with us today we have David Eichlin from the Rhode Island Firemores League. He's the president. Uh, I know you guys, we had a podcast a few weeks back about concealed carry. Uh, David, thanks for joining us. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. You have to be here, right? So, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no kidding. I, uh, yeah, there's a lot, a lot of stuff going on right now, so we have uh, a lot to talk about, and we hope we can... Uh, get a lot more people involved to help stop these bills because this is not something you and me can do alone. Right. So uh, yeah, I guess this is a 14th, this is a 14th episode, I think. So it's, it's, uh, I don't know, whatever, 13, 14, but uh, it's, uh, we, we're going to dedicate this strictly to legislation. Um, you, as you guys know, David alluded to there, there were, the bills were, were released, um, that submitted this past, um, last week and there's been a slow trickle the last couple of weeks, but the, the big ones came out, um, last week and we had sent out correspondence that alluded to the fact that they were coming. And so when they came, uh, they were much worse than I think they've ever been. And if I think I mentioned in some of the things that we've sent out that if this if these were in fact to pass, we would probably be the most regulated state in the world, not let alone this the country. Yeah. But, yeah I'm they, laughing out of you know frustration. But. Yeah, no, it's pretty bad. I thought, you know, we've had obviously some bad bills being introduced in the past and, you know, I kinda expected a lot of the same ones to come out, but and it did, but we actually had fewer bills introduced so far. That doesn't mean we can't have any more, but they're actually a lot worse. And things that I didn't even think we had to worry about is actually um, being introduced now. So I think they really outdid themselves with their imagination and trying to do as much as they can to <laughs> to make us so yeah. so restrictive that you know essentially you're talking about banning all you know a huge majority of all firearms uh, that are owned in in Rhode Island. Right, and so we'll get into the nuts and bolts of what these bills do individually um, without making this podcast two hours long, but we could certainly go on for days about some of these things because they're certainly worse than what we've seen in the past. So we'll, we'll try and keep reference down to past bills. You know, I know we can often go off on a diatribe about gun control, but we'll stick to the bills. But before we do that, we'll just talk quickly about uh, getting our text messaging. If uh, I know we've posted in the past on social media and on the podcast previously about texting RI gun rights to 88, the number 88202. And you'll get on our list. So you'll receive alerts about these bills. Uh, folks have asked, you know, what we do with that information. It, we don't do anything with it. We just simply contact folks. And if in fact there are going to be hearings at the state house and or uh, things related to elections. So, you know, we've done a pretty good job at not abusing that. We don't sell your information to anyone. Uh, we do actually have a second, um, service that I use that is a different number than the one you actually text. So if you do get a text from us that's from a different number, it's just because there's a different platform that I found that is a little bit easier to uh, structure some of the text messaging. So don't get freaked out if you see uh, a number that you don't recognize, but it's the same content. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll get into um, the bills first, and at the end we'll talk about what you need to do. And, and the word need is probably the most appropriate word because a lot of folks 
have a tendency to maybe sit on their hands and think that this stuff will go away like it has in the past. And they're aggressive this year. And, and I know, David, we talked about this earlier today. And we, we discussed with some of the organizations about how things would be significantly different because of COVID and not being able to go into the state house. And, you know, there's just the, 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 there's a progressive push here, you know, to try and ram these things through. And, and we, we, one of the messages we'll talk about later is, is whether or not we should be even having this, these hearings and, you know, having folks contact their legislators to pressure them to not support this stuff. So anyway, uh, let's get into the actual bills themselves. So the first uh, bill on the list uh, that this actually came out, I think, a few weeks ago, and it's been a bill that's come up the last several years on uh, essentially concealed carriers going on school grounds with firearms. And this has been something that's been legal in this state, or at least carrying firearms in some form uh, for really since 1790. And then in the 1990s, they passed a provision that criminalized uh possession of a firearm on school grounds because of the mass, the shootings that they had had on schools, but they carried forward or they created an exemption for folks to, uh, essentially be exempt from, from carrying on, you know, exempt from being prosecuted for carrying on school grounds. So what are your thoughts on that? Um, I don't obviously like the bill. We don't have a problem today with anyone who can lawfully carry a firearm to have been licensed by the attorney general or by the local licensing authority. There's no issues with them carrying a firearm on school grounds today, and there's no safety issues. It's, it's obviously just a political issue, and it, it sounds good. You know, I've heard the the supporter of this bill actually claiming that anyone can carry a gun on, on school grounds, uh, which is in, totally false. But when you hear that from someone and don't know any better, it sounds like a good good idea to support this bill. But that's obviously not what he does. You know, it you, you basically won't be able to to go to on school grounds to say pick up your uh, you know your your child or um, or anyone or go to any school functions you know with your lawfully licensed to carry a, a firearm um, permission so you know we're opposed to that bill um, it's definitely not making anyone safer I think it's probably making people less safe um, because if something were to happen then it would take you know five, ten minutes or whatever before law enforcement get there. That's a you know typical response time. You know, we know exactly what can happen in just five minutes. Um, so right. this is uh, definitely not um, not a good bill. And it's 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 a kind of a low hanging fruit because it sounds like a good idea to do it. But right. well it's you know it's funny because it, it's when you think about this bill came out, I think maybe there was the first iteration of this was probably about seven or eight years ago when they the coalition against gun violence realized that the, getting some of their initiatives through because they were so ridiculous and so really unneeded in this state, um, they thought they would pick this one because it conjured up images of what folks would be doing on school grounds with a firearm, and, and so they can, te- you know, it, it, I guess instill or incite terror in folks that, you know, this idea that someone could just simply walk into a school with a gun, but it's entirely about folks with permits to carry firearms that have, since the dawn of you know this state being a state. They can't point to one situation where this is even relevant. And then they replace the, you know, act of you walking into school with a holstered firearm. Um, and we were talking about this yesterday. 
um, where they've now replaced you keeping a holstered firearm on your person with you having to load and unload and unholster and holster that firearm outside of school grounds, which is not even allowed on gun ranges. Um, it's I call the the state police, and, and in order to be accredited for, uh, as an accredited police department, you've got to have clearing stations throughout the building. And so we don't allow this on school. We don't allow this on ranges unless you're on the firing line. We don't allow it in police departments. And yet we're going to allow folks to handle firearms out in front of schools. So um, even if you don't believe the sort of good guy with a gun uh, argument, um, you certainly shouldn't support the bill, even if you're anti-gun really, because it's it's creating an inevitability of people handling firearms based on a, this uh, this trying to stop this like super hypothetical. So Yeah, exactly. And uh, something else to consider is that you know, someone who is licensed to carry for very good reasons, they could have a restraining order against someone. They might not want to be able to, they might not be able to um, go to the school because of this. And, you know, you're making that person very, very vulnerable at a predictable time and place. Um, right. So, you know. Right, right. It's funny because I, I wrote a letter to the editor for the local paper here in town because my, my representative has sponsored the bill and, and I, you know, I question what this, what kind of safety this created. And I think ultimately what it creates, I think it's more like political safety than it is actual public safety. You know, you're going to protect your career because you can point to a bill and say, well, I voted or some, my opponent voted against the bill to stop people from bringing guns in school. So, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's not a good bill. It's, it doesn't serve any legitimate you know, it doesn't address any legitimate issue in this state regarding public safety. All right. So next up, uh, as far as anti-gun bills, uh, would be Senate Bill 0129, which is what, David? This is a bill that's basically going to eliminate the local licensing authorities from is- issuing permits to carry a concealable weapon, which is 114711, um, uh, which is the shall issue um licensing authorities in Rhode Island and is going to leave the full responsibility with the attorney general who is a may issue authority. And we all know what's going to happen there. You know, uh, that's, you know, I know a lot of people have applied in both um, through the local licensing authority, as well as the attorney general, they are denied through the attorney general because they are may issue but they are approved in their local or through the local licensing department because they are shall issue as long as you meet the statutory requirements. So you're you're essentially eliminating uh, the whole licensing uh, process because you're not going to be able to get a a license unless you probably need it for work or have other very good reasons to get it. Um, So this is, uh, I think, one of the... It's a pretty bad bill that we definitely you know, opposed to. So we're hoping that, you know, we can be able to stop that. And another thing to keep in mind here, I don't think someone who is, um, belongs to a certain, you know, political party who runs for office should be in power of deciding basically who... sole arbiter of gun permits. Yeah, 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 exactly. It should be something that's codified by law. And, um, you know, you have, you know, objective standards. Um, I don't think you should have someone who can run on a specific platform and then all of a sudden you essentially nullify the Rhode Island Constitution uh, with respects to keep and bear arms. Right. It seems as though over the years, like, well, not doesn't seem it. It has been the case where each uh, new administration comes into the attorney general's office and they have a policy change which involves, you know, maybe 
uh, under Kilmartin, we saw more restrictions. Uh, we're actually, well, Sheldon Whitehouse was the one that initiated that, but you start to see changes in what those restrictions are, um, some of the information you need to provide when you apply for that permit, which isn't anywhere in writing, actually. I remember once when I went to Renew Mine before I got a, a town permit, um, they required that I produce some documentation uh, to back, or to essentially, you know, uh, I guess... I referenced some things in my letter that that they wanted proof of, and and that's you know no nowhere in my in my process from the application packet itself did it say that I need to do that until I went down to pick it up, and their policy says they can't discuss whatever it is that you know the issues are with your permit over the phone, and so it's a, that's we're, we'll see more of that um, when in fact I think like we alluded to with the school bill. We've never had an issue with anyone doing anything inappropriately with a municipal permit. So what's the what's the I guess the catalyst for this? It's purely political. Yeah, and I know there's some local licensing authorities who just don't want doesn't want to deal with this, and they want to have the argument has been for a long time that instead of having 39 different licensing authorities, we should just have one and have the same standard applied. Um, obviously, the standard will be a much different standard because the right, AG can right. basically you know make up whatever standard they want because they are may issue and i also find it kind of interesting because last year the general assembly passed a bill that would change where you where your background checks for a the purchase of a firearm goes it used to be where this uh, it used to go to where the 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 seller yeah the seller's local police department and now it goes to um to the buyer's uh police department and the argument that legislators made back then which is a pretty good argument uh, was that the local licensing authority is going to know more about the uh, about the person trying to purchase a firearm than where it's being sold from right so right. you know this bill easily passed and they, um, and now they're trying to do the opposite basically take it away from the person or the licensing authority that knows the most about the applicant and they'll put it to you know the attorney general's office who know very little about you other than what's documented in uh, you know whatever court records might exist right 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 so yeah I mean you know, it's it's and I mean we've seen this come up before but it, it certainly doesn't help now that I believe Julia Wyman who was on the director one of the directors of the Rhode Island Coalition Against Gun Violence works in the attorney general's office <laughs> So that's certainly not helping us, or at least I think she does. So, but uh, I'm fairly certain. But anyway, so uh, it's a bad bill, and if, if we see, I mean, if this, if this, you know, is something that passes, um, we'll, we'll basically end up with, um, you know, rolling back the clock on all the gains that we made over the years regarding, um, regarding, you know, concealed carry and, and, you know, it being far more accessible than it was many, many years ago. Um, so. I think this also, so this is House Bill uh, 5381, which uh, was also, I think, submitted on behalf of the Attorney General's office, sponsored by Williams, Batista, Geraldo, Caldwell, and Morales. Um, and this requires the uh, firearms uh, sellers, it requires the sellers to gather information about your medical, I guess, a release form, right? Yeah, um, so. uh, in the in the standard form you had to fill out today when you purchase a firearm, um, you know, we call it a local form, I guess, or the state form, which is codified in 1147.35.1, I believe, right. or 0.2, depending on whether it's a long gun or, or handgun. But now they added a provision there. We have to sign a medical release. So basically they want to find out if you have any kind of medical history. And I guess the intent might be to see if you have any psychological issues. But this is just a blanket, you know, medical waiver 
And once you sign that, you might as well consider your, you know, personal information to be, you right. know, public because, you know, there's well, nothing you can do to prevent that from being yeah, basically. And, and the way <laughs> the way the bill's written too is it's like it basically creates um it's gotta be grammatically incorrect because it says the dealer is the one that collects your medical information. So it's the consent release medical information, the primary so authorize the release of the information to the firearms dealer, right? Is that even that's not <laughs> So I have no idea. I, I'd actually forward a copy of this to the ACLU and had a pretty good conversation. They certainly have as many concerns as we do. Um, but yeah, if if um, I mean, based on the sponsorship of this, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see where this goes. But the interesting part is that it creates again another another sort of avenue for law enforcement to deny you a purchase. But there's no new disqualifiers, right? So like you're giving this this information to them. Right. And it says records relating to the addiction, alcoholism, mental illness. That's a pretty broad, uh, you know, a sort of, uh, you know, piece of the pie there. And, and so, uh, you know, I, I, the interesting part is that we see already departments denying people for firearms purchases for things that are not disqualifiers. This would open the floodgates. And in some cases, folks, you know, that may have had contact. Think if you had an eating disorder, you know, and that police chief decides that, well, OK, like. You know, eating disorder isn't 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 a disqualifier. But and what's the next closest thing to eating disorder? You know, what's the cutoff, right? So, you know, it, it's it, this is not not a good bill. And, and and you know, these are the small bills that seem like. I mean, if you were to explain this to just average Joe citizen who doesn't own a gun, they'd probably think that was a pretty good bill. Yeah, I mean, it honestly doesn't sound that bad. But I mean, you own medical. Um, medical records are, you know, private and they're very important. And actually, medical fraud is is bigger than credit card fraud. So there's a lot of right. Uh, Think about all the all of us that have gotten these fraudulent applicate or fraudulent, uh, app, you know, folks that have applied for for um, unemployment on behalf. You know, of, of, I've gotten one. My, my school district called me and sent me an email and said that I someone had filed for unemployment. You know, just recently, and I know this, it seems like every, this is happening to everyone, right? So imagine if it's just one more document to put out there in the hands of, in this case, and no offense to gun dealers, but it would put the, the documents in the hands of the folks that, that work in these shops, which they're, you know, not qualified to handle. So Yeah, exactly. They're not medical professionals, and neither is, you know, who, you know, under local um, chiefs or police departments either, so... right. I'm not really sure what the thought process behind this bill here is was. There was no thought process, <laughs> like the, like most of the bills. <laughs> Next up is the assault weapons ban, and I think uh, I don't think we even need to cover this because people don't care about this. So we'll just. <laughs> you think it's whoa, worthwhile? Whoa, whoa. Yeah. So so again, this is this is the perennial bill that comes up that basically defines any semi-automatic weapon as potentially being an assault weapon based on a combination of features. But what's what's some different about this one than, than previous iterations? Go ahead. Uh, well, I think you, you probably know better than me um, what this bill does, but it obviously is a very broad bill that's going to affect you know pretty much every gun owner because it's such a broad term, the you know assault weapon as they like to call it, but it's really a modern sporting arms that you know pretty much everyone owns right. as far as the details goes. I well, think it, you probably know more. yeah, so they, they limited it to one feature now. So if it's got a detachable magazine, any one of the features like the muzzle brake, the 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 uh, what is it, the pistol grip, the detach, you know, the collapsible stock, all of those things. Now it's just one feature, and it's considered an assault weapon. And so I think of an approach. I think there's a registration requirement here, um, but I think an approach with legislators when you reach out to them, 
you just sort of explain to them that like everyone has this image of an AR-15 and, and in order to address legislation, I don't certainly think we should regulate those any more than we do now, but in order to regulate an AR-15, you would need to, rather than name it in the legislation, you have to define the features. And when this, you know, I think when you talk to legislators, you explain to them, but by defining those features, you also drag in lots of other firearms that, that aren't really what folks imagine when they think of an assault weapon, or at least when someone that's anti-gun does. I don't think we, again, we shouldn't be regulating these things any more than we do now, but I think it would resonate with some legislators, folks that sit on the fence and say, hey, I didn't realize it actually encompasses most semi-automatic firearms if they're not handguns. So this is a terrible bill. Um, and, you know, there seems uh, quite a few people signed this. You know, if you saw the, the signatures, uh, the sponsors of this bill, they had 38 folks. That's more than half of the folks in the, in the, on the House side. So um, this, is, this is a concern that, you know, this is the year they may try and ram this through. Next up is a Senate, or sorry, House Bill five 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 three, which is what? So that's actually a new uh, new bill. I don't think they've introduced uh, this in any form in the previous sessions. But this is basically called um, uh, firearm storage bill, and it's uh, it will be a felony to store a firearms unlocked when you're not using it. So today, you know, you, you don't necessarily need to lock your firearms, there is a provision that says you, you need to, um, it needs to be safely stored. Obviously, if you have children right, around. Right, it can't be accessible to, yeah, yeah. Yeah, someone who's not authorized to it, and you can be prosecuted for that. But this takes it to, to a whole whole other level where you actually have to lock, it, lock your firearms up when you're not using it, and that creates its own issues, obviously. If, uh, you know, if someone's breaking into your house in the middle of the night and you're going to try to, you know, unlock your safe while it's dark and you're, you know, barely see or whatever so um yeah uh, this is not a good bill either right all right so moving right along we have oh these are numerical orders so they're getting good you know they're making it easier for us yeah uh, yeah definitely so the they, next one is uh house bill 5554 which is uh the magazine restriction which is probably the worst bill uh ever submitted in state history i can't imagine i can't remember a bill ever being this bad so what 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 makes this and we all know what magazine restriction is we hear large capacity feeding device or whatever and we know since we had a ban in the in the 90s you know into 2000 you know the early 2000s but we so we know what that term means but what what makes this one above and beyond anything we've ever seen so the reason why this one is so much worse than everything i've seen before is that this one is so broad and generic and includes um, any magazines that has a detachable floor plate and there might be some people which is like what everything (laughs) yeah exactly it's everything you know a lot of people don't even think about it unless you're you know maybe into competition shooting where you add um, you know like a higher a little bit higher capacity or you need to clean out your magazines that's the main that's the main reason why people take those off, you know, to clean your magazines. You know, if I used to shoot competition and you drop your magazines in the dirt and whatever, you need to, you know, you need to clean clean them every time you use them. And that's why you have a removable plate. And I think it's also for probably manufacturing purposes because otherwise how are you going to get the follower and the springs in there, right? It's a lot easier than try to stick it through the top, right? So this basically um, will ban all magazines, um, uh, has uh, detachable floor plates, so it's right. Uh, so it's not even a ban on on high capacity magazines. It's a ban on all magazines. <laughs> there is no magazine without a floor plate that comes off. And it, you know, I whether that's an old like whether that was an oversight, like they just saw okay, there are extended uh, there are clearly extensions you can put on a magazine and increase the capacity to what anywhere from one to two to five to ten or whatever. But you know, they they, they were probably looking to address that and didn't realize what that impact would be. 
or they just simply did it because they knew that it would create the situation that it creates, which is clearly unconstitutional based on the Heller decision alone. I mean, you can't certainly outlaw every single semi-automatic firearm in the state, handguns included, and some manually operated guns that guns that have detachable floor plates. So it's certainly this is this is probably the grossest bill we've ever seen, and whether or not the intent was there. You know, it, I guess writing the bill and not understanding what it does is even probably just as bad. Yeah, it just shows the ignorance, I think. And um, something else I just thought about, too, it's like I have some some pretty small compact handguns that I carry, and I like to put a pinky extension or just like it's not even – it doesn't even add – any to, anything right, to the capacity. Because God forbid you actually want to control that gun when you shoot. Yeah, you know, trying to shoot a sub subcompact gun, right. you know, with no, two, one or two that. fingers on your hand. So you're just adding an extension that doesn't even add to the capacity. But all of a sudden, that that's gonna that's now gonna be a felony. So it's it's pretty crazy, I think. Yeah, and and so. I've said this in previous podcasts, I think our last conversation, I said this, and when I was talking to some people that have run for office or are in office now, you talked about magazines, and most of them don't even understand what a magazine is. They think it's some sort of disposable device that's that's not, you know, it, it, you purchase it once it's it's done, it's done, and then you, so the, and these are some folks that are even pro-gun that thought this, you know, that ran for office a couple of years back, and, and so... You know, I, I, I think that legislators need to be educated in what these things are, that it's a part of the gun, and without it, it's 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 essentially useless. And the other point is that these things are not, it's not, and certainly not, banning bump stocks wasn't, I think, uh, a good thing, but legislators thought they could get away with it because of the fact that they assumed that only a handful of people had them. These things are in the millions in this state. You know, there, there's probably... You probably have a million yourself, right? I do, yeah. <laughs> Well, I will now. I mean, but anyway, oh, we, we, we got to cut this out, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, anyway, um, I, I basically, you know, if you tally up the numbers of guns that have been sold in this state over the last ten years, it exceeds without including this last this last year, uh, it exceeded two hundred and fifty thousand gun transfers. And most of those are semi-automatic. Most come with two, three magazines. You purchase a couple of more. So there's certainly a minimum of a minimum of a minimum of a million magazines in this state. And so you're creating this interesting dynamic where a lot of these progressives believe in social justice reform, but they're perfectly okay with someone getting nabbed with an 11 round magazine that had no idea that isn't the typical gun nut you know david and i will figure out how to you know figure out ways to sort of legally comply with this stuff in whatever way we need to um some folks may disregard the law entirely um, but the majority of folks are going to have no idea that this passed and that those are the folks that are going to get banged up which again goes against what a lot of these um social justice warrior you know the social justice folks uh, i know the warrior is probably a derogatory term but uh, the social justice folks you know they they they're advocating for reforms in every single area except the ones that involve guns right and these are the, the the demographics. Really, are the folks that probably live in their districts, right? You know, I go to Competition Shooting Supply, and, and John Francis tells me that he's got a lot of folks in Central Falls that are buying guns for for lawful purposes, right? And and those are the folks that probably don't belong to a range. They don't probably visit our website. They're not listening to this podcast, and maybe they are. Who knows? I shouldn't make those assumptions, but they might not fit into the gun culture like you think. You know, a lot of the sort of flannel wearing guys like we do, like. And so they won't be aware of what the law is, and they're the ones that are to get nabs, not us. So that'll do it for the anti-gun bills. Although we will likely see more released. I mean, there's a there's a, a soft deadline they can submit bills, and there is quite a few that we've seen in the past that are not 
and they're not here. So anyway, moving on to the pro-gun bills. So we've got several this year. Um, first up is a bill that, that requires the attorney general to report any uh, – charges with firearms so tell me a little about that david yeah we for years we've um, obviously been fighting these bills here and uh you know mo- most of us that have been involved with this we, n- we know that the bills that have been intru- introduced are not really going to target the people who are committing the actual crimes um although you know the supporters of these bills don't really care about you know that kind of important facts and um, you know you I know you and me a few years ago um, went through all the gun charges and all the arrests with guns in Providence and we're pretty shocked to see what the disposition was a lot of them were actually being charged with gun crimes but that's usually not the only crime there's you know I think most of us know that uh, most of the gun crimes in Rhode Island doesn't happen in rural areas it happens within a few blocks um, in Providence and they all are gang and gun gun related. So what happens is they, they charge them with, for example, a gun crime and a drug crime or a gang crime. And then they drop the gun charges in, in favor of plea bargains on other charges. And it's like, well, what's the point of having more restrictive gun laws if you just can't even, if you don't even enforce the existing ones uh, or prosecute on them? Um, so it's been kind of kind of frustrating to see this because obviously the only people who will be affected by these bills, um, uh, the gun control bills, are law-abiding citizens. So this bill here will basically um, force the attorney general to uh, come up with a report with a disposition um, of the gun crimes that happened in the past. Um, I, th- I think it goes back to the previous year, but I would think it's probably more like a rolling tally because obviously you know if something happens on new year's eve then you're not going to have a disposition of that you know (laughs) that year so um i don't know all the details of that but either way i think it's a good bill um because i think we need to i think the legislators need to understand and see for themselves from their own office um uh, what the disposition of these crimes are and who's involved with them like right now you know they're just introducing these bills um and we already know that it won't won't affect the the real problem here in Rhode Island so right well they're superimposing everything that's happening nationally the debate nationally is being superimposed on the state of Rhode Island we're talking about assault weapons we're talking about high capacity magazines we're talking about stand your ground laws and everything else right so those are the things that are embedded in these legislators brains but the fact is that we have some years, single-digit murders, thank God, and we have, you know, a handful of shootings in the city of Providence. So rather than invest any sort of time in researching these things on a, on a one-to-one basis, which is absolutely doable, we're going to somehow throw, you know what, at the wall and just see if we can regulate guns out of existence from the million people in the state, uh, 20% of them that own firearms. It would make more sense to just have harsh penalties for the for the half dozen to a dozen and a half folks that actually break the law. But they don't want to know this. I mean, the data is there. I mean, you alluded to the fact that you and I had gone through some records the first year we had gotten into this, and the data was crystal clear that none of the bills, even to this day, would apply to most of those situations. And we look, if you look at the data we got from the ATF, a third of all the firearms in this state that are obtained, you know, by law enforcement from people breaking the law come from out of state. And then we've got two thirds of the people that get caught with these guns are prohibited persons so like there's overlap there obviously but like you know if if you do the research and figure out that the guns that were used 
didn't even originate in Rhode Island, then what the hell is the point of trying to regulate things when you're going to have the same number of murders you had the year before? And this is a message that you should, you know, we that, you know, legislators should be wanting to solve the problem rather than sign on to these initiatives because they're extremely popular. There was an iteration, something, there was a bill that passed a couple of years ago that was similar to this, where the, the, the AG had, was required to produce uh, he had to report some some data on on gun related charges, and I know that the the report was released, and I believe uh, it was Representative Chippendale <laughs> said that it was completely unusable. It was just unusable yeah. data, like someone surprise, just surprise. printed out a like someone's homework, right? Just printed it out, and it was like nonsense. So I think this is in response to uh, the Attorney General's office turning over just some gummed up, literally gummed up, you know, little whatever the heck they did, a spreadsheet, you know, that just had listed all the things. So this is not a bad bill uh, because it would provide the General Assembly with concrete data on what's actually happening. And so, you know, like similar to COVID, you know, you address the issue with things that you know are going to directly influence the outcome, right? And then this is this is a, sort of a remedy to that. So uh, that's definitely a bill that we support. And, and conceptually, it just makes so much sense in terms of driving the whole gun debate in this state. Yeah, I don't know why anyone would oppose this bill. Maybe I well, think I, I think, think you, we know the reason why because when you go and take a gun, so the irony is that you know I had a friend I used to work with that had a permit to carry a firearm. He was retired, um, uh, retired uh, prison guard, and his permit had expired, and he got pulled over, and you know it was maybe a year or so expired. He was carrying a gun, and he got convicted of a felony, right? And so. Uh, the craziness is that if he had robbed a liquor store or he had shot someone, then he probably would have never, that charge would have never seen the light of day. So it's like the severity of your crime and the punishment for violating gun laws in this state is like inversely proportional to the severity of the crime. So if you simply get caught with a gun that you shouldn't have or you don't have the proper paperwork or you've got that gun with the magazine that holds 11 rounds instead of 10, you're going to prison. But if you took that gun and stuck it in someone's face and pulled the trigger you're probably not going to get charged with a gun charge or at least one or two of those charges will never see the light of day. So it's, it's, I get, I understand, you know, Chaz Kalenda was a prosecutor for the AG's office, the previous administration. He did say, you know, that's part of the process of pleading, you know, having, having, you know, pleading some of these charges off so that you don't go to trial and you don't have every single, you know, case go to trial. Um, so I understand it's a process that, that happens, but it seems as though there's a disproportionate number of cases that never see the light of day as far as gun charges go. Someone had actually shared the FBI stats with the um, the information the attorney general had turned over to the FBI regarding background checks and people that were disqualified from the purchase. Right, so like he submitted that information out of all of the all of the uh, all of the the folks that were denied you know, locally. Um, it was only the, the the FBI data only reflected people that were um, had some sort of mental illness that were adjudicated involuntarily or they had some sort of alcohol, whatever it was. And so um, there were no felons whatsoever, not one felon that actually had in, in, in this last year or the last year that was reported in this report that I saw, not one felon actually had. Uh, his information turned over by the attorney general's office, the FBI. So you can attempt to buy a gun and no one really cares. Right. So. Anyway, it's a good bill. Moving on. All right, so on the uh, again on the Senate side, in which we'll have a House side version, uh, House version of this. Um, it's uh, Senate Bill zero one seven six. I know it's people are. <laughs> I don't know the details of the numbers, but this deals with stun guns. So I guess the bonus is when they take away all your real guns, <laughs> you'll be able to carry a stun gun. <laughs> Go ahead. 
agree. Yeah, yeah. I think um, you know it doesn't sound like uh, you know that big a deal of a, of a bill, but uh, today stun guns are actually explicitly banned by statute in Rhode Island. And as you probably know, just a, I don't know four or five years ago, maybe I think it was a case that went all the way up to Supreme, the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, it was actually from Massachusetts, um, where someone where someone was arrested and charged. Uh, with having a, a taser or a stun gun, I, I'm not sure which one it was. There's a difference between them, but it doesn't really matter, I think. And it was by a, a female that had just decided that she didn't feel comfortable carrying a deadly weapon, so she got one of those uh, tasers or stun guns to protect herself. And you know, she was charged to the full extent of the law, and and this actually went all the way up through the court system, and the Massachusetts courts, um, uh, well. It, it, her defense was that it was a uh, a constitutional right to carry it, and then the Massachusetts courts, well, I don't know if it's the Massachusetts court or the federal district courts, that basically said it was not protected by um, the, the Second Amendment because those stun guns didn't exist back in the you know, 1700s. So, right. but it was... Uh, Wasn't there a Baghdad battery in, in the Middle East? Yeah, <laughs> and then... <laughs> So this went all the way up to Supreme Court, and the Supreme U.S. Supreme Court unanimously overturned that, nine to zero, right. including Ginsburg, every liberal justice there, and they pretty much torn torn the lower courts to pieces. And with the argument that um, you couldn't just say that because the gun didn't exist back in the 1700s that they could they could enforce uh, these laws. So you can. I think this is an important bill and and uh, issue in general because you can apply the same argument obviously to to um you know modern sporting right. uh, rifles because you know the um, supporters of the ban of those guns have said that well you know this the second amendment does not cover those bills because they didn't have those gu- those guns back then anyway so um but you know the US Supreme Court you know in a unanimous decision just said that that's that's not a valid argument so um and there is actually a lawsuit from Rhode Island um, that's uh, is going through the courts, uh, the federal courts right now. I'm not really sure where it is now. I think uh, you you talked about that with uh, Frank. With Frank, yeah, I don't remember the details. I mean, I know it's it's uh, it's ongoing, and I think that ultimately, you know, they're trying to. I think they're trying to run the clock out to see if the General Assembly will pass something that you know uh, addresses the issue, and then you know the Attorney General doesn't have to respond. So, uh, all right. So then, the last bill on the list is uh, House Bill. I don't think there's a Senate version of this yet, but it's House Bill fifty-five fifty-eight, which is a reciprocity bill relating to gun permitting. Which is, as you know, in this state, uh, there's no way for someone to carry a firearm unless they have a carry a handgun unless they have a, a state-issued permit or a, a municipal-issued permit. So it would create an avenue for folks that. Um, you know, have permits in Massachusetts to come in Rhode Island as long as their state, right? I think there's a, has to be reciprocal. Yeah, reciprocal uh, if they acknowledge. Yeah, so anyway, so it's, it's you know, we, that one's been submitted over the last several uh, legislative sessions. So we'll see what happens. But that's you know, a tentative list of, of the of the bills so far. And then this certainly could get longer depending on what, um, you know, if, if, if folks submit more bills. So um, anyway, so what, what, what now, David, what, 
Well, right now, I don't think anyone really knows what's going to happen because in the past, obviously, before COVID, we had public hearings and we got, you know, at least a few days notice to prepare and get people ready to head up at the state house and prepare the testimonies and um, testify in front of the committee. But from what I'm hearing, that's probably not going to happen now. So we're a little, um, yeah, honestly, at this point, um, you know, middle of February, we don't really know what's going to happen. But the rumor is that they're going to do it all online um, somehow, which I'm not really a big fan of because... Uh, right. Yeah. And, and I mean, so, you know, if anyone that's gone to the state house. You know, I've seen it over the since my first year there. I was I was surprised at the number of legislators that do get up and walk out and and don't stay for the hearings. And we're not talking about bills that regulate whether or not a tomato is a fruit or a vegetable. Like we had this before you lived here, we had this big Supreme Court big case that went before the court whether or not these kids were getting a balanced lunch. And I mean, those are great. You could have that hearing on a Zoom meeting all day long, right? But these are bills that you could end up in prison, right? These are things that strip you of your civil entitlements and you're going to be on a Zoom call where a legislator could just, you know, Lord knows what they're doing. There could be one guy there. There could be a cardboard. I'm a teacher. I do online teaching, well, online, you know, digital learning on certain days. And, you know, who knows what these kids are doing? So it's just a cardboard cutout of them, you know? And so this is the worst possible way to address such a serious issue and I think that part of this is, is um, you know, will the the numbers of folks that turn out on our side, if that is actually what happens, testimony could go on for days. If you if you take up the number of folks that and I know not everybody testifies, but I think if it's a digital thing, you'll see a lot more from both sides. Our side alone would probably push the hearings out into. 36 you know 48 hours and and so that's not certainly doable and you know it dissuades a lot of folks from participating in the process which i think for a lot of folks pushing these bills is is probably music to their ears Um, but i think if if there's you know we're going to ask folks to reach out to their legislators one of the most important things you can say to these folks really is that this is not the year to be doing this you know the, the covid restrictions they should be dealing with the things that are germane to the covid restrictions and and all the things that need to need to happen in order for the government to function uh, but if they have hearings if folks do decide to go to the state house to rally and we're not saying that that's or protest we're not saying that is or isn't going to happen. We're not certain what people are going to do. But if, in fact, that does happen, that's creating a more, that situation is less safe than actually outlawing these. these I mean, they're, they're, it's a public safety hearing about assault weapons and magazines and all these hypotheticals, but they're going to create an inevitability of putting folks in a dangerous situation. So I think the message to legislators should be, what, David? So, um, yeah, I think this is a bad year to have um, to, to even consider these bills because uh, we not we, first of all, we probably don't want people up there. The, the people are most vulnerable um, to COVID, you know, are the ones who's not going to be able to to testify because they want to don't want to be in that environment and they probably shouldn't be in that in the environment. And, um, you know, just I'm not I don't even know how they're going to schedule this um uh, um, online hearings. They uh, don't know how they're going to schedule it. So we've already talked to legislators. They have no idea how this is going to happen because so far the bills they've had, six or seven people have testified, right, on on whatever the bills. I mean, there's a hunting bill and there were, there were maybe a half dozen people that testified, but nothing to the magnitude of what we're going to see. Yeah, I agree. So, uh, yeah, they should, uh, they should not have these hearings. Uh, 
this session at all, I think. All right, so I guess we'll we'll end with uh, what folks need to do. So David worked hard on getting some systems up on our website, and so tell us a little bit about what you want folks to do, what what what, what you've done to make this like uber easy for folks to engage their legislators. Yeah, so what people need to do now is basically contact a legislator and let them know that they should not be um, supporting any of these gun bills, well, at least the bad bills. Um, right, your state representatives and senators, right? Because I know a lot of folks have asked, like, do I, how do I contact James Langevin? You don't, right? You talk, you, it's your your state legislator, God. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, everything we talked about today is what's been introduced in the General Assembly in, in Rhode Island. So, um you know, in the past, we've been we've been pushing people to contact their local or their legislators, um, you know, to oppose these bills. But a lot of people, honestly, most people, have no idea who their their elected officials are or how to even find out and how to contact them. And like in the past, it was kind of it wasn't easy. You could go to the Secretary of State's website, you can enter your information, go through a couple of links, and then you know you find them, and then you have to go back. Uh, to a different website and go through a couple of links and then find your uh, find a page where the uh, contact information of the legislators were. So, you know, in, in today's age, people don't have that kind of attention span to go through all of these these steps. You know, we're living in a in a society where everything should be at a, the tips of our fingers. So, um, we try to make it as as easy as possible. So on the um, rifle.org uh, webpage, I um, set up a, a page where you basically you have a couple of ways to um, to find your legislator. Um, and the first one is if you're a registered voter and have voted in the past, you can uh, uh, you can look it up that way, or you can look it up by the street address by basically giving your street number street name, your city, and your zip code. Either one of those will give you to a uh, give you the results of your who your your elected um, uh, representative in the the house in Rhode Island and, as well as the senator um, in the house. And um, you know, it would show their contact information, the phone number, you know, if you if you're on a phone, you basically just you know, click on the number and it would automatically call and, and um, it would click the, you know, you can click on an email as well and then, you know, a message pops up. It's kind of a default message. You know, we encourage people to change it to make it personal because right. if the legislators start noticing they get, you know, hundreds of the same emails, then it's a, I think it's not as impressive because they, they might not know that it is actually being sent from you um, they 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 probably think it's just spam that's being generated since it's the same message. So we definitely encourage people to to write their own message um, if they do this, uh, make it a little bit more personal, um, you know. But and and also I would you know you can put you know put sign your name at the bottom and you know maybe even your address or at least the town you live in. So because what legislators cares the most about is their constituents. Right, they don't care if you own a gun or not. They all they care about is what you're going to do come election day. <laughs> yeah, they, they'll do anything. Right. Yeah. They want to just want to be reelected. So yeah. uh, uh, it's very important that you do let them know that you, you are a constituent because they will listen to you. And you'd be surprised how few people actually contact them on, on various is- issues. Um, so if they get, you know, th- th- this is probably the, the hottest topic right now. So if they get, you know, 
dozens or hundreds or whatever contacts, right. they're going to start. They, think, should. they should get them. Yeah, it's, it's depending on your district, right. obviously. But I think they, they will definitely think twice about supporting this. I mean, I've heard in the past, on, on a, I forgot what bill it was in several years ago, but you know, my representative, he got like maybe a dozen phone calls or something. And he was like, wow, like I never had that much right. <laughs> contact. So don't right. don't think that your call does not matter because right. this is a lot more important than, uh, or a lot more effective, I think, than, you know, posting your personal opinion on social media, what right. you think about these bills because no one's going to read that. They right. probably not care that much about it. So we definitely encourage people to, um, um, to go through these steps. Steps is basically two clicks you can get to it from our homepage rifol.org and under um, legislation um, link there is a drop down when and basically it's called find legislator so i would do that that first and we encourage everyone to do this we're going to roll this out on probably social media text message right. email yeah. and, we are, and you and we encourage everyone we hear this to, to spread it as well. Uh, right. I mean, a lot of folks have said that, you know, what, what do I, how do I get in touch with my legislators? What do I write? And so David invested a decent amount of time in this. I know we've harassed you with making changes a few times here and there. And so uh, it's not easy to set. It's not, it was not easy for him to set up, but, but it, you know, it took a lot of time, but, but it's very easy to use as long as you follow the directions. And so uh, I know I got snagged a couple of times because I didn't read the directions. So other, under street number, I didn't see that. I put, I kept putting the number under street name. And so when I did it the way the instructions, the instructions I didn't read, uh, when I did read them, I, it, it worked perfectly. And so, you know, as David said, uh, you know, it's important that you both email and phone call. So I know a lot of folks like they're more comfortable doing emails and they've asked like, what do I write? You could delete that message that's in there, the default message and just focus on, you know, not so much the, the constitutional aspect. I mean, a lot of these folks are trying to get to come over to your side. Um, they care more about the pragmatism of what the bill does or doesn't do and whether it's going to have a collateral effect on most of the average folks. And so, you know, explain that, these hearings shouldn't be taking place on an issue like this, given the situation, because it's not safe for folks to go to the state house. Um, and then, you know, these things have a collateral effect on, on everyday citizens more so than criminals. Yeah, exactly. So we're just asking you to please contact them. You know, don't worry about um, if you're not comfortable talking to them. You know, a lot of these phone numbers are office numbers, and you probably right, you just, just, leave could, a message, yeah. just leave a message, you know, or keep calling back or whatever. Right. It's like, you know, even if they do pick up and you're not comfortable speaking, right. just say that, you know, you're constituents and you're opposed to all these um, gun control bills, and you're asking, ask them, right. him, him or her to. To oppose them, yeah, uh, that's if really you, all you have to all you have to do. Yeah, if you're the fifth or sixth person to call, they're not going to really. I mean, it, and it's not to be nasty; they're just probably not going to listen to much of what you have to say. So you just, I called Dan Mickey's office when we asked people to do that, and I just said who I was, where I was from, and, and that I, you know, please don't support any legislation this year, uh, really any year. But you know, this is and I, so it was it was maybe three sentences. I didn't go on a, a sort of diatribe about gun control because they they they're they're going to have like six or seven calls by the time you maybe maybe hundreds of calls who knows but but um yeah, just so be short simple respectful and and even if you have to stick something in there you know if you gotta send something to the regular mail or or you know you could even you know if, if they live in the neighborhood just go to their house and, and, and hand deliver a written letter i mean nothing says you know that you really intent on on voting for or against them if, if you've got to hand deliver something like that um and then you know if it's if it's a state house number i know if it starts in two most of them are 
numbers that they legislators have provided for constituents. But if it is a state house uh, two 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 number, if you call on the weekend, I'm not certain how that works. So usually they have a staffer that um, will take messages. Um, if it's if if it's if voicemail, you can leave a voicemail. But um, if, if you could talk to someone, it would probably be your best interest to do that. Yeah, and I think um, the most imp- important part here is really to get get high volume. You know, if they got 100 people, they really don't want to listen to the same message 100 times for right. ha- half, a, half an that. hour. So I right. probably wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't want to do that either. So they'll probably buy a gun and turn it on themselves, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> After they get all those messages. <laughs> so they're really but I, I bet you they would probably keep a tally, especially if they have a secretary in the office. They would they were literally just marks like, oh, yeah, this person is uh, against the bill. And they would kind of keep a tally right. and saying that, hey, you know, got you know, a hundred people calling you asked to, uh, asking you to oppose these bills. And we got no one calling you to say you should support them. So, you know, that, that's the message we need to, uh, um, to send. Yeah. So there, there it is. Um, again, you can't make it any easier for folks, um, to, uh, contact their legislators. I know it's in the past, it's been difficult to get a reference it with the Secretary of State's website. So it's, it's not an easy thing to do. So, um, there's no reason why. And it absolutely is one of the most important years ever. And also, there's a petition online. So, David, how do we navigate to that? You can speak. Yeah, yeah. Just go to the homepage. It's on the okay. uh, all right. up uh, in the right hand uh, corner. So, all right. Yeah. Well, I made Either it actually one. even okay. easier here. So, on okay. the main on the main landing page, there is basically we have a little introduction of what's um, um, what you need to do about these bills. So the first one we just went over uh, is to contact your um, elected officials. And uh, the second one is we ask you to sign a petition. Um, and we hope to, we there's already a petition going around to gun clubs, gun stores, anyone, you know, who wants to sign up on it. Um, and, and that's basically, a, you know, a paper, um, paper petition. Um, I, at this point, we don't really know how, how effective that that has been we know there you know a lot of the stores and clubs are you know have limited capacity so i think the traffic at these places that typically would have been pretty effective is significantly down to where what it was you know a year or so ago so we just created basically a digital petition here where you know people can sign it and we're just asking for your your name and I guess, I think the town is social security of, number <laughs> yeah <laughs> blood yeah, type right? sign a medical waiver and uh, <laughs> no no not nothing um, not nothing bad but it's basically um, it's you know, information that your legislators are going to want to know when when you look at a petition if it just says Jim Smith and it says Rhode Island you know it's not going to be sufficient so I know people often don't want to share their personal information but. It, it it's you know either this or you're gonna you're gonna they're gonna vote against the general assembly. Yeah. Well, we, so we're basically just asking you know enough information that the legislators can identify that you live in Rhode Island, and uh, you know if they wanted to they can you know probably look you up, but then I don't think they will do that. But you know it is a petition, so um, we we want to have enough information that um, they know the person is you know is actually real. So. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, and so uh, again, it's just another piece of the of the sort of strategy here um, 
to send a message to the folks in the General Assembly. So uh, I know we asked people to reach out to Dan McKee's office. I mean, if you haven't done that, you can you can also do that um, during the week. I think I know the General Assembly is back in session next week. I don't think that the lieutenant governor ever left to go anywhere. So um, you can do that tomorrow, Friday, next week, whenever. I don't know when I'm going to post this podcast, but probably um, uh, tomorrow or, or Friday. So just make sure you, you, you know, consistently... Uh, from now until when there's hearings and even post hearings that you engage with your legislators to make them know that you're serious about how you feel on this issue. So anyway, I think, I think we'll wrap up. Uh, we went a little bit longer. I think we said a half an hour, but it's probably close to an hour now. So anyway, so some of the things that we have going on, we're going to raffle or not raffle. We're going to give away, um, similar to what we did last uh, week. I gave away 300 rounds of nine millimeter ammo. It was Heidi fish that actually won. Um, so, by signing up for text messages, um, texting RI Gun Rights to 88202, you'll be eligible for the items that we give away. Also, you need to follow the podcast. So uh, when I draw a name, I'll look and see if you if you follow the podcast as well. And you'll be eligible this month. Actually, we have two, three things we're giving away. I think David donated uh, 550 rounds of 22 federal, which I'm sure is probably uh, $900 worth of ammo right now. <laughs> and <laughs> Probably. <laughs> yeah. So I, it's funny. I get, if I, you can find it. Right. I brought the ammo to Dan Patterson's shop and it was like, I'm like, I had to leave instructions, you know, that this isn't to be sold, you know, so if this poor girl would show up and it wasn't going to be there and I wouldn't be able to replace it. So uh, then we also have um, a, a CERT bolt carrier, which is um, a, a training device that goes inside an AR-15, which I think I let you borrow. It's pretty cool. It's, you know, it's, it's good training device. Um, it's what, you know, a couple hundred bucks. Um, I, I actually, that's, that's mine. I'm giving away, but I think I used, you used it more than I did. And it's, it's in the box. It's basically new. And then also, um, Tanya from, uh, surplus uh, provisions in Cranston put together a package, which is, is like a four or $500 package of, um, body armor, armadillo plate carrier, uh, gas mask, 40 million, like 40 millimeter, uh, reading from my text here, 40 millimeter filter, um, uh, 72 hours of, uh, wise food. Uh, so pretty pretty decent package so we'll 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 we'll, um give that away as well uh but you gotta make sure you sign up for text messages that's where we pull pull your name from and uh make sure you spread the word and you send out all of the information that we put out and a lot of people don't listen to the podcast and you know maybe not on social media and social media has been sort of a um you know it's, it's been you know less traffic than we normally see so Make sure you share with the folks that are in your clubs. Make sure you share on whatever platforms you're on so that folks know where they need to, uh, what they need to do in order to stop this legislation. Because again, this year is full of so many unknowns and I don't think we've ever seen it like this, David, where, um, you know, we, we weren't as confident as we have been in the past because there, we've, we know there's a core group of Republicans and Democrats we can rely on to, to help us stop these things. But, um, you know, there's so many unknowns this year. This is not the year to, to sit there and think that it's going to roll out like it has in the past. Okay, so that'll do it for this week's episode. So uh, again, sign up for text. Check out that website. It's riofol.org. I'll put all the links below. And just stay informed. Take care.